Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm not sure anybody catches the sentiment of waiting better than one of my family's favorite theologians, Dr. Seuss. I'm going to read for you. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no, waiting for their hair to grow if it still grows. Everyone's just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for the wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Whether you are in a season of waiting right now or you just came out of a season of waiting or maybe you're in a season where waiting's not happening, waiting's coming. Waiting is something that we are all exposed to at different times in our journey. If you're like me, I don't really like waiting, but there is one type of waiting that I do enjoy, and that is anticipating something that I'm looking forward to. That type of waiting of anticipation, really what the Christmas season is all about. Like as a kid, we anticipate Christmas morning. We anticipate the opportunity to go downstairs, be with our family, and finally open the presents that we've been waiting on. And as an adult, my new Christmas morning is the first college football Saturday every single year. Like I wait and I wait. And when college game day comes on, on that first Saturday, I am so stoked. Or when my wife and I, if we get tickets to a, to a concert of an artist we love, like we cannot wait. And we're in this series, Silent Nights, and we're, and we're talking of, about Silent Nights, but in the nights leading up to something that we're looking forward to, they may be silent audibly, but there's a lot going on in the head. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of dreams. There's a lot of joy. There's some fear. There's some more joy, and there's some more fear. One of the things I was looking most forward to Nine years ago, my wife and I, she was my girlfriend at the time, we were making a trip up to Nashville for Thanksgiving. And what she thought that this trip was about was an opportunity for her to meet more of my family. She had not met some of the grandparents and extended family that was going to be there, but I had a different plan in place. I had gotten a ring, and this was going to be the moment that I would propose. I was so excited and was looking so forward to this. And if you're like me, when you're anticipating something exciting, you want to do everything in your power to make sure nothing goes wrong. Because there's nothing worse than something you're looking forward to falling apart, getting canceled, or you not being able to be a part of it, right? That's the worst feeling. So I'm just trying to make sure, okay, everything's good. I'm over, like, over-exaggerating why, you know, hey, so you're going to meet more of the family. This is going to be awesome. And then we'll go back home. We'll continue to progress in the relationship. Like no ring is coming right now. I want you to know that, but I've got the ring. So anyways, we go to lunch the day that I'm going to propose. All right. And we're at this restaurant called Peiwei. It's a, it's a, a Chinese restaurant. And the line where we would go to pay and, and, and um, order 
was kind of in this little walkway that had some menus that were on, on slabs that kind, of, that, that kind of hung down and they served as a divider between the line and the dining room, if you can imagine this. And there was a gap between them. There was four of them. And so there was a table right on the other side of the menu. So Katie and I are looking at the menu, trying to decide what we're going to eat. And I can't help but hear a conversation that's happening on the other side of the menu. And I start to eavesdrop. I hear someone say, so, so your brother's going to propose today? And, and so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I hear a really, really, really familiar voice say, yeah, he and his girlfriend just got in town from Georgia. I think they're at lunch right now. And he's literally proposing today. My brother Brian was the voice. This is a true story. I kid you not, like I look between the gap and he's sitting where he can see me. We make eye contact and I already had to confess to God. I cussed at him with my eyes. It wasn't like, it wasn't out loud, but it was with my eyes. And I mean, he, he immediately stopped. He, he stretched the table. He was at work or at a lunch with his coworkers. Now, Katie didn't hear it or she has maintained that posture or lie for the last nine years to make me feel better, right? But everything went as planned. I was able to propose later that day. She said yes. We were eight years into our marriage and, and two kids later. But you know that feeling, though, when you're anticipating something and it's possible that it could fall apart or something could go wrong? As we're in this series and we're talking about silent nights, and we're looking at the Christmas story, the arrival of Jesus. This was, this was a moment that Israel, that God's people had anticipated for years. There were prophecies of, of what would happen. There was a day that they would be restored and redeemed thanks to a savior. And they, they were waiting and excited. And this was the moment, like the Christmas story, the arrival of Jesus was the moment that this story began to come to fruition. But for one of the characters in this story, Joseph, this didn't come as the fulfillment of anticipation of a savior. What this came as was an earth shattering interruption to the things in his life that he was excited about and anticipating. And I want to look at the story today from the perspective of Joseph. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter one? We're going to jump to verse 18. I'm going to read this first verse from the King James Version. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to grab the King James Version because of that word betrothed. Okay, If you were to read some other translations, you might get the word engaged. But I want to give a little bit of context to uh, what was going on in the relationship between Joseph and Mary at this point. In, in Jewish relationships and in weddings, there was really a three-step process. You had an engagement that was put together by the families involved. And then you had the betrothal stage, which this was the ceremony that we kind of celebrate today. They'd had a big public ceremony, okay, expressing their desire before God and before man that they were going to be husband and wife. And so by all accounts, this is now his wife. The, the final step was that she would stay at, at her home with her family and he would begin preparing his estate for her arrival. So the final like consummation of a marriage, that final step was just a small ceremony with families of welcoming kind of that final move in. But at the betrothal stage, like this was already in motion. This wasn't like our engagement. This was in great motion. This was extremely public. 
And the silent nights that, that Joseph is having right now, he, he's, already, he's already invested time and energy and excitement and his family's excited. And, and he's dreaming of, of the home that they are going to build together, the family they're gonna build together, what their careers, what their life will look like, what travel looks like as a couple. He's dreaming all in this direction. And she shows up to tell him that she's pregnant. And this comes as a great interruption. And the silent nights that were filled with hopes and dreams was now replaced with a night to contemplate the news that he had just gotten. So let's jump back to the passage, okay? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So he's considering things now. He's, he's sitting thinking, and I have to imagine, he's sitting just contemplating, okay, she's, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's a virgin, okay? We, we've, we've not moved in together. We haven't taken that step yet. Like, is this true? And, and then if it is true, and I, and I do believe her, that, that's a crazy story. But even if I believe her, everyone that knows us, are they going to believe this? Are they going to believe what's taking place? And, and we get to see a little bit of Joseph's character. This dude was an outstanding man. He had in mind to follow the law, but do it in such a way to not publicly shame her. He could have publicly shamed her, like even in anger, but he, but he chose, he was going to do something quietly. This just shows that he was a kind guy, even though this internal, this had to be an internal battle. Come on. You know, this had to be an internal battle, Right? Let's look at what happens. He starts to get clarity. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save, people from, save uh, his people from their sins. This was the moment that Joseph realized that he was receiving an invitation into the greatest arrival in the history of the world, the Messiah, what they had been waiting on. There was clarity. This is, this is the purpose of this child, to save the people from their sins. This is the Messiah we've been talking about. You're to give him the name Jesus. And while this is incredible, I just want to be realistic about what Joseph might be feeling, okay? I want to be realistic that the arrival of Jesus honestly could have felt like it was ruining his entire future. Are you with me on that? Like Joseph had a, a best outcome of where his life was headed. He had dreams and he had hopes. And, and all in this moment, there, there's, there's this news. This is, this is mind blowing. He has a lot to consider. And it feels like, man, this is ruining his plans. This is ruining what could happen. And sometimes I think, I think as people, we can feel that too. Like when Jesus comes into our life and reveals himself, it can feel like he's ruining what we think is best for our future because he, he, he wants to change things. When he shows up, everything changes. Everything about our best hopes or dreams, everything about how we want to receive or, or give pleasure, everything about the way we want to handle money or, 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 or control things. Like everything changes when Jesus is arrived, arrives and this is no different for Jesus. Joseph. And I want to look at that, but the first thing I want to make note of from the Christmas story that's, that's true for Joseph, but it's true for everyone throughout scripture and it's true for everyone throughout 
the history of the world is this. Jesus does not make it difficult to be found. He doesn't make it difficult to be found. He makes it easy. Jesus reveals himself to you. Jesus reveals himself to you. I'll just say it this way. Jesus comes to us. That's the, that's the, the, story, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, that he would come to us. This has been true throughout the history of the world. Before his birth, he did this through the prophets. I, I want to say it this way. Like we as, as a church, our vision statement is what? All right, I want you to say it a little bit louder like you know it. Come on. We, we want to help people find and follow Jesus. That's right. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. When we say help people find Jesus, I want to be clear. This isn't a treasure hunt. We're not trying to give people clues that's going to lead them to another clue that they need a certain mind to figure out. We're trying to help their minds compute and, 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 and figure this thing out. This, this, isn't, this isn't a mystery we're, we're trying to unsolve we are saying yes to be a part of God's plan to reveal Jesus and bring Jesus to that individual. And whether we say yes or not, guess what? Jesus is going to bring himself to them. He will reveal himself to everyone. Like I said, okay, so before his birth, it was through the prophets. This is what it says we continue in Matthew. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Hebrews, it says it like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So after his birth, now he, now he came to us and the way he speaks is through the ministry. He had a radical ministry that stood out. And then he had this historical event, the greatest historical event ever to happen. There was a man that came here that lived radical, that loved radical, that predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and it happened. So he speaks to us through the events of what occurred, but then now it's through witnesses who, who saw this with their own eyes and they passed it on from nation to nation. And those witnesses have carried it on from generation to generation. This book of Matthew that we're reading the Christmas story from, this is from a witness and it's continued and it's continued. In fact, if you are here today and you've heard of Jesus, it's probable that you heard of Jesus from another person, from a witness who shared with you. It could have been a pastor or, 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 or a teacher or a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor. Some, someone likely told you about Jesus. Jesus uses people to reveal himself, but he will come to you. And then you might, you might ask questions. Like sometimes I, I ponder things. Okay, so Jesus reveals himself, but what about what about people that don't have access to a Bible? Or what about a group of people that doesn't have someone who has witnessed these things or heard of these things? Well, the Bible has something to say about that too. Paul wrote this in Romans. He said, how then, oh, sorry, I skipped a verse, um, but that's okay. Let's go ahead and skip it. We don't need it. All right. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He makes himself known even in creation, even in nature that we would, that we would look at this and ponder and say, wait a minute, there's more to this. And in Ecclesiastes, he says that he puts eternity on our hearts. There's even more evidence in the scriptures that God has a plan to reveal himself to, to everyone. So all that to say, Jesus comes to us 
The revealing part, figuring out who Jesus is, that is the easy part of the story. And that's the easy part of this story with Joseph. Even though it, it happened in a, a huge earth shattering interruption, even though this was a really inconvenient thing, Jesus made himself known, but it was what happens next that's difficult for Joseph and dis- difficult for all of us. Once Jesus reveals himself to you, and once he revealed himself to Joseph, we are now given a decision to make. Do we want to leave our life behind and follow him? Or do we want to say no thanks and go with the life that we think is best? And I want to look at Joseph's response today and what it could mean for you and I. Let's jump back into the passage. Matthew 1, 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The first step that Joseph took was he received his purpose. As Jesus revealed himself, there was a purpose that he was invited into and he received this purpose. He received the purpose of choosing to be the husband of Mary still, of choosing to raise Jesus and become his stepdad, so to speak. And then he continued in in receiving his purpose as one of the prophets um, talked about how this would come from the line of David, the family of David. And as a result of him walking in that lineage, there was an event that took place historically. Caesar of Augustus sent out a tax census and this this forced Joseph and Mary to come and and, uh, be a part of this census and travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem right as she's about to give birth. Let's look at Luke chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Joseph was receiving his full purpose, even though this was inconvenient to walk this out and to walk in this purpose. There's a lot of reactions that Joseph could have had to this invitation. Joseph could have rebelled against God and run from his purpose and said, you know, um, that's a good plan, but maybe use someone else because everything that I was kind of hoping would happen, like I just wanted to settle down here in Nazareth. I had, I had opportunities in my, in my current job and I was getting house ready and um, that's a wait. I don't, I don't think I can, no, he said, okay, I'll do it. And he chose to marry her and then he chose to step into the role as father. And then when it came time to go down for the census, he could have gone to God and been like, all right, God, look, you're trusting me with the savior of the world and Caesar, Man, he's crazy, all right? And he's asking me to do something crazy. And Lord, you know, Mary is getting close. She's in pain and I love her so much. I don't want to make her travel 80 miles. This is crazy. You know, Lord, couldn't you make an exception for us? But he didn't do that. He chose to walk in his purpose to help fulfill a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem down the lineage and family of David. He received his purpose. That kind of points us to his second step, which 
is this. Joseph remained faithful to God's law no matter the cost. He remained faithful to God's law no matter the cost. Later in Luke 2, we see him follow through on the customs of the Mosaic law after Jesus' birth. Let's look. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I think Luke wanted us to see that Joseph took this step for, for a couple of reasons. The first is this. I, I think that, it, that it's important to note, just like I said, like Jesus didn't get to be an exception during this tax census. The same is true about Mosaic law. Like Jesus was not above the law. He was not an exception that didn't have to play by the same rules that he was calling his people to play by. Jesus obeyed and fulfilled the law. That is extremely important to the, to the gospel is that he fulfilled it in a way that none of us ever could. And this started even at his birth. But the second important detail here that I, I think Luke wanted us to see is what was sacrificed. It said that it was a, a pair of doves or, or two young pigeons. But if we were to track back the law from Leviticus, this is what the actual law says in Leviticus 12.8. It says, but if she cannot afford a what? Maybe it's not up there. Okay, but if she cannot afford a... She is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. I think it's important to note, Luke doesn't mention a lamb. He doesn't mention a lamb because Joseph and Mary didn't come from money. They didn't come from privilege. And even the sacrifice that they brought to obey the law in this, it required more of them. It didn't matter the cost. Joseph, if, if, if this is who they are, this would be a time when you have a baby, you're trying to make sure that you can provide and, 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 and create sustainability for your family and protect your family. And he's not running off to get back to work to do all of that. He's staying obedient to the law inside of this, even with what he could afford. I also find it really, really cool. It's just an interesting fact in the Bible that they couldn't afford a lamb, but they had the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ present at this sacrifice with them as God's kind of sacrifice. It's just an interesting fact I love. Step three, all right. Joseph was willing to go wherever the Lord told him to go. Joseph was willing to go wherever the Lord told him to go. Jesus has opposition. There is opposition that always wants to stop the plan of Jesus. And this was true even at his birth, right as he enters the world. The opposition is already working against him. And whenever we choose to follow Jesus, Joseph found out as he's near to Jesus, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are going to come into contact with his opposition. You are going to face the friction of his opposition. And this is what their family started to face if we jump back into the story in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The Magi are what you might know as the wise men, okay? And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews, the Messiah, right? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So what, what happened was there was this group of wise men that they, they were from a distant land, 
And they had heard about the Messiah in, in some revivals that took place through the prophet Daniel and some other folks during the exile when, when God had scattered the people. And so they were waiting and curious and wondering when the Messiah would come and they were watching and they saw this. So they, they arrived because they wanted to meet the Savior. And as a result, news got to King Herod, who was part of this opposition that wanted to stop this right away. And so it, I'm going to kind of summarize here. But in Matthew 2, what King Herod does is he tells the wise men, OK, go find him. Once you do, come back, report to me because I want to be a part of this, too. He's kind of tricking him because he really wants to just kill Jesus. Right. And after the wise men visit, an angel of the Lord visits them, tells them, hey, go home a different way. And the Lord protects Jesus. And after a while, Herod figures out, okay, I just got fooled. The wise men aren't coming back. They aren't going to talk to me. I got to come up with a new plan. And he does. And now it's time for God to move Joseph and his family. And Joseph has to be willing to go where God tells him. Let's, let's jump to verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, let's just, let's just remember everything that Joseph has gone through. Okay, this is, this is probably around the time that Jesus is two years old. So in the last like two and a half, three years right now, Joseph's future hopes and dreams just transformed drastically with the news of Jesus's arrival. And then he had to go and, and they, had to, they had to have Jesus in Bethlehem. And, and they've, they've been following God's law, but they don't really have security or a grasp on where the future's headed. And now God is coming to them and telling them to go out of Israel into this town of Egypt. And all we know is that Joseph like followed and he, and he said yes, but I like to wonder like what the conversation maybe was like. Like I, I like to wonder if Joseph was like, okay, all right, I, I, Herod's coming after us. Does it have to be Egypt or can it be like somewhere else? Um, and okay, if it is Egypt, let, let's talk about it. Um, what, what, Jesus is too. What's, what are the preschools like in Egypt? Because I want to make sure that, the, that we've got good teachers for Jesus. We, we want to do this right, Jesus, like you ask, or Father. <laughs> you know, you ask us to raise Jesus. We want to do this right. What are the preschools like? What, what area of town should we look at? Um, what kind of jobs are there? What's in the job market? What advancement opportunities? Are, what's my salary going to be? What will the benefits be? How much paid vacation? What's the housing market like? What kind, of, what kind of an investment would we be making and looking at for this time in Egypt? That's not how it went. There wasn't time. Joseph was willing to obey God and go wherever he told him to go. In fact, he didn't get to stay in Egypt long. He didn't get to build a whole new life and a whole new future there because God told him when it was time to head back. Let's jump to verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But then he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod. So he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth, where he was from. 
So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So he's willing to leave Egypt and figure out this start over again. He's headed back to Israel. So Egypt's kind of over here. Israel and Bethlehem are over here. Nazareth and Galilee are way up here. And on his travel, God, God redirects him. This is yet another journey. It's about 106 miles. And wasn't taking planes, wasn't taking cars. They likely, all they could afford was donkeys. And, and even if they could afford more, they didn't want to bring attention to themselves. And they got a little one traveling with them. And I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty of even what, what does the future look like? How different does Joseph's life look now from the silent nights that were filled with hope and dreams before the arrival of Jesus? When I look at Joseph's story, I really see like the ultimate step that Joseph was invited to take and that he did take is that Joseph trusted that the Lord had a better outcome for his life. He trusted the Lord had a better outcome. Like he had his best vision and, and hopes and dreams for what his life looked like, but he laid all of that down at the invitation to follow. And he trusted that there was a better outcome. And I gotta be honest, like there's a tension that I, that I feel and I can't wait to like find out more of this story with Joseph because after this part of the story, the only thing we have left like a record of Joseph's life was when Jesus was 12 and he got separated from his folks at the temple. And, and then they, they, they get back together and, and head back home. And then after that, we pick up with Jesus when Jesus is 30 and that's when his public ministry begins. And during that time, Joseph's not around. So Joseph passed away sometime between Jesus's 12th birthday and his 30th birthday. And there's a, there's a tension like I feel of like, man, Joseph, like Joseph said, yes. He said yes to all of this responsibility. This was a massive responsibility. This was a massive sacrifice. This changed everything. And, and he, he was faithful. He was faithful through the steps. It wasn't like one step of faithfulness. It was multiple steps of walking in faithfulness. And you're telling me like he didn't get to be there when his boy started preaching? He didn't get to be there when his boy was performing miracles. He didn't get to be there to see the following of people that were radically changed by this radical love that, that came from his boy. He didn't get to be there to hold Mary's hands when their boy was crucified. He wasn't there for the final act of the resurrection. Like th these moments that, that, that you would think like, wait a minute, he said, yes. Why does he miss out on all of that? And I got to be honest, I don't know the full answers of why God doesn't allow us to be a part of things here. But what I do know and what Joseph put his hope in is that the arrival of Jesus, it wasn't about what changed here. It's about what changed in eternity because he said yes. And Joseph's hope was on what God was preparing for him eternally. And he knew that his hope in eternity was way more, than, way more important than his, his blip of hope in this little bit of time we have here in this world that's falling apart. And pa Paul put that sentiment this way in 2 Corinthians. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. 
Joseph chose to believe that if he would surrender his best outcome of his life over to Jesus, Jesus would make an even better outcome. Finding, finding Jesus is it's the easy part. Jesus comes to us and he reveals himself to us. But then he gives us an invitation to decide if we want in. And, and that's the hard part because we have to trust that he's got a better plan than our plan. And we have to trust beyond a perspective that, that, that we can't see. And if I could sum up what we could learn from Joseph in just one sentence for us to walk out of here with today, it would just be this. Following Jesus requires inconvenient steps of faith. Let me say that again. Following Jesus requires inconvenient steps of faith. There were big inconvenient steps that Joseph had to take. And if you've, if you've followed Jesus, you might have been invited into some big inconvenient steps at times. But it's not just the big things. It's not just the big moves or the big moments. It's in the little areas. It's inconvenient to wake up 15 minutes earlier and say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus today. I want, I want time with my Savior today. And I trust that his plan for today is better than what I'll come up with today while I'm rushing out the door on my way to work. I'm going to give him 15 minutes here. It's inconvenient to say, you know what? Of all the things I could accomplish on Sunday morning, I'm going to trust that going to church would, would be the wise choice. And I'm going to be there with a, a family of believers that can encourage me. And, and I'm going to hear the word and I'm going to be fired up. It's inconvenient to choose to serve, to give up your time, to, to volunteer, and, and to, to, to make it about someone else above yourself, to serve other people. That's, that's inconvenient compared to what you could come up with in serving yourself or, or going your own route. It's inconvenient to tithe. Like giving is an extremely inconvenient thing when you think about it. That, that you've earned this amount of money and so you're gonna take a portion of it and give it back to God. That's an inconvenient step, but it's in these inconvenient steps of faith that we learn to follow Jesus and we start to see that he gives us all this inner peace that we can't get from anything we're putting our plans into out there. It's where the beauty of following Jesus starts to take place. I wanna end with um, a story. There was a friend of mine, his, his name is Scott. It was about five years ago, I was, I was leading a ministry and we had a leadership position that, um, that opened up in the ministry. And, and Scott immediately came to mind. This is, this is a guy that was, um, he was serving on one of the teams and he had displayed tons of leadership potential and uh, had great influence with, with other people around him, strong spiritual leader, and just felt like, man, Scott, Scott's the guy we want to talk to, but it would be a sacrifice of time. And I'm um, not sure if he's in a season where this could happen. Scott's got three kids and a wife. And so I just texted him. I said, hey, man, can we meet in a couple days? I've got something I'd like to talk to you about. When we got together, I shared the opportunity with him. And I said, look, I know life can be crazy, and I don't want this to be a pressure thing. I just, all I'm asking is, would you pray about it? Because if it's, if it's not you, then God's got someone else, and that's great. But but would you just pray about it? And if God prompts you to say yes, I think this would be awesome. I said, you can get back to me a week or two or whatever. 
And uh, after I said that, Scott said, okay, well, uh, the answer is yes. And I already did pray about it. He said, the minute you texted me, I knew that God was asking me to do something for his kingdom. It wasn't about you. It was about God's kingdom. And he said, I felt like God told me that I was supposed to come in here and say yes, no matter what you ask me. And he said, to be honest, what you just asked me was a lot easier than what I imagined. <laughs> he said, the answer, it was always going to be yes. God has brought that to my mind many, many times over the last few years. Just to check in, do a heart check with me. Say, Kevin, do I have your yes before I ask? Like, do I have, do I have that type of yes from you? Like when I ask, do you, do you trust me to that level that it's a yes, a yes no matter what you ask? Or is it a yes depending on what I ask? Is it a yes, depending on the circumstances, depending on the sacrifice, depending on the level of inconvenience, depending on what you have to give up within your comfort or your lifestyle? Is the yes dependent on things or do I have your yes before I ask? I just want to ask you today, does God have your yes before he asks? Or is the yes dependent on other things? Maybe there's, maybe there's a step of faith that God's been, he's been calling you or leading you to for a while. And it's inconvenient. And maybe, maybe there's been a list of reasons that you've been putting it off. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just fear or worry. Like what would happen if I risked in this area? I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that when we take those inconvenient steps of faith, we find that God's got us. And we see him work a much better plan than what we could do on our own. And, and Joseph's story, even though we didn't get to see the end of it in the context of, of, of this earth, the end of it is still being written and we're gonna all get to be witnesses. Anyone who's called on Jesus, we're gonna be, get to be witnesses of the best ending of Joseph's story which is an eternity in the kingdom of God, separate from all the brokenness of this world. What's that inconvenient step God's calling you to? And what would happen if when we pray in a moment, you just made a commitment to God and said, you know what? I'm gonna take that step when I walk out of here today. I'm gonna take that step. Can we pray together? God, we love you so much. And Jesus, we just first want to say thank you for coming to us. Thank you that it's not a treasure hunt. Thank you that it's not difficult to find you. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself to everyone in this room today as well. And, and so Jesus, we just, um, we give you glory. And we admit it's hard to follow you sometimes. It's hard. And we know that, Lord, part of why you do that is because we've got a lot of breaking down we got to do to fully trust you. And so, Lord, I just pray that today there'd just be at least one step for every individual here, that we would just take one more step into trusting you. That we would take an inconvenient step and say, Lord, I'm just gonna trust. I'm gonna trust that your outcome is better. And, and I'm not gonna judge it by the results that happen right here. I'm just gonna trust it on what your word says. I'm gonna place faith in you, Lord. And Lord, there may be someone here today that's never taken the step 
to ask you to save them from their sins. And, and if that's you and you're in the room today and Jesus has revealed himself to you, all it is is a decision to say, yes, he does all the saving work. There's nothing you, you'll do to earn it. There's nothing you'll do to disearn it. <laughs> it's just a yes. And he does the work. If he's revealed himself and you want to you want to receive the forgiveness of your sins today, all you have to do is pray a prayer like this. You could just say, Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself. I want in. I'm broken without you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that you are who you said. I believe that you lived a perfect life and you died a sinner's death for me. And I believe that God raised you from the dead and you're coming back. So today I'm asking you to save me from my sins. I'm gonna commit to follow you for the rest of my life. See in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.